0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another overcast day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Stephen Farrell, partner at Williams Farrell Woodward, a financial management and wealth planning company based in Ipswich. Stephen, hello. 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 Thank you for coming on the program today. We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you?
1: Well, it's a big word and a big question. Um, I'm not sure I can define that exactly because uh, it covers a lot of areas. Right. But I think that it means showing you know, by example what you need to do.
0: And how would you describe your personal leadership style?
1: Um, it, trying to be um, an inspiration rather than, than a command. Right. Otherwise, I don't try and tell people what to do. I try and get them to a position where they can do it themselves so they know what they're doing. So I'm trying to always... Um, Get them trained and qualified, so I can delegate, and they then can achieve. what I want them to achieve on their, own, on their own, in their own time and skills. So my leadership really is about trying to inspire them to do that.
0: Do you find, I, as a, a lot of leaders I speak with, that sometimes it's difficult to let go of the reins when you delegate a pro- project?
1: I'm sorry. Could you say that again? I couldn't quite hear it.
0: A lot of the leaders I speak with sometimes find it difficult to um, let go of the reins when they've delegated a project. Do you find this to be an issue for yourself?
1: No, absolutely not. <laughs> I am. Um, <laughs> I think the more I can delegate, I don't mean my. I don't mean by delegate, abrogate.
0: Well, um, I genuinely
1: mean. I genuinely mean delegate.
0: Let's go back to um, the beginning of your career when you were first starting your working life. Was there any particular individual or set of circumstances that really formed the way that you lead today?
1: I don't think so. I mean, give me a second. I just cleared my stroke. Hold on. I don't think so. I think that really it's been a journey, Um, um, reading and observing people, a lot of people acting over a lot of time and I think I've learned a lot I've, I've worked with a lot of people that i thought about and watched them do what they did as leaders well, I've read a lot of stuff um, history and all that stuff I mm-hmm. uh, just think you know, I've evolved I don't think I've anybody that's particularly inspired me
0: now I think pro- please carry on go ahead no carry on now, of course, uh, there are lots of changes coming to uh, your sector at the moment with the uh, with the new parliament. Um, do you find any particularly onerous uh, to the world of financial management?
1: Yes and no. It's not a parliamentary or civil service problem we have. It's an unaccountable bureaucrat problem. Um, the, the things that regulate us at Charlie... Financial services regulators, various financial services regulators, are actually have absolutely no democratic legal or financial accountability and no skin in the game. So their incentives are entirely distorted. That's the problem that our sector faces, mm-hmm, a, a complete mm-hmm. failure of bureaucrats, absolute total failure.
0: Do you feel that your industry could be served better by further deregulation?
1: Yes. You, the current structure of regulation is absolutely unworkable. It, it, will, it has and will fail. It's absolutely certain that or it has failed. The structure incentivizes bureaucrats to create problems and to and to use that as marketing for their continued existence. Mm-hmm. You cannot have a system where you have where you have. It's not acceptable in a free society to have free men controlled and managed by completely and utterly unaccountable bureaucracies. Mm-hmm. They don't show leadership. They are they are close to Marxist or Marxism than anything else. It's just not acceptable.
0: Now, if I was to ask you to objectively identify the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be?
1: I I have an interesting sort of um, eclectic view of that. I I was quite fond of the style of um, the the chief of Imperial General Staff in the Second World War, a guy called Allenbrook. Whose mm-hmm. diaries are uh, are an exemplary um, indication of how leadership in a great struggle can can work. I'm also interested in other more off the wall people. Um, so maybe Felix Dennis, who was a complete rogue uh, in a nice way, and uh, achieved a lot of lot of a lot of uh, a large growth in his business through individual personality. So I'm gonna give you what well, i giving you is a range between of somebody who was an absolutely servant of the public and a like great bloke and another guy who was completely, utterly a different sort of character. And all these people inspire you in some way or the other.
0: What did they have in common?
1: Nothing. Absolutely nothing at all. Uh, nothing at all. Except that they achieved achieved relatively great things. I mean without a doubt Alan Brooke was probably the best SIGs ever and was responsible for a large part of the grand strategy of the Second World War, and managed to deal with Churchill, which is a, a remarkable thing in itself. I mean, the fact that he could manage Churchill to, to a degree was astonishing. Whereas, <laughs> it was just a bloke in the middle of money. It's just totally different things, but he, he exhibited leadership, without a doubt.
0: Now, of course, do you, now in the world of business, do you find that you can use um, – uh, any particular example from them to help you lead your business any smoother?
1: Yeah. Yes, I do. I think the uh, thing from Alan Brooke is that he was dealing with life and death. Now, you have to remember that, that we're not. Well, things that I do don't kill people. Um, I can lose the money, which is what I'm very, very focused on all the time, not doing. <laughs> but I don't kill, whatever I do doesn't lead to people dying. So, the, the absolutely discipline of that when you're a military commander makes you think a lot more about how you delegate and how you lead. You don't want to put people in harm's way if you can possibly avoid it, but you're having to. So I'm lucky to to not have to do that. I mean, I've got a... uh, Clearly, the military is is an absolutely life-or-death game. So if you look at that and think of the pressures on them and then compare it to what your pressures are when people aren't going to die, well, there are no pressures, are there, really? We We are so... It's so easy, relatively speaking. Uh, but the 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 discipline of of having to be exact in your orders, having to be able to tell them what to do precisely, having to make sure that they are resourced to do that work, all of that is based upon a sort of uh, a military. Going back to the other extreme, um, Felix Dennis, he he was just an insp- inspirational bloke. He was just high in a high degree of um, charisma, which I haven't got. And he was able to work on that. And he was absolutely focused on his goal. Absolutely focused on that. So, and that's a common thing with two of them too. them, of course. Both Alan Brooke and Dennis it focused on their goals. Alan Brooke winning really the Second World War, Dennis making lots of money. So you can learn from both of their styles, really.
0: Now, of course, uh, that just brings back uh, into uh, focus uh, determination, and it's determination to, uh, to do a good job and to do it precisely. I think that's what, uh, what I'm gleaning from this. Unfortunately, our time together is uh, drawing to its close, but before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store at Williams, Farrell, Woodward?
1: The next 12 months? Yes. We've got to grow. We've got to recruit. We've got to move offices. We've got to invest in the business. We've got to train people. And I'm determined, absolutely determined, to get that to happen. Um, we, we, are, we have a great opportunity. Uh, the world needs us to provide an interpretation to our clients of what's going right and wrong. And we can, we can exploit that for both our benefits. And we're going to do that, without a doubt. We're determined, absolutely determined, to go that journey.
0: Well, Stephen, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you today, and I very much hope to have you back on the programme at some point in the near future. Stephen, thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: That was Stephen Farrell, partner of Williams Farrell Woodward. And now, if you haven't heard it before, it's Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Geoff Hurst. Uh,
2: We're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup Final. So, Jeff, first, uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh,
3: You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh,
2: and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time?
3: <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me and realise that I did. Uh, Score nothing for Essex. Uh, for, my only game for Essex, first team, when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago. 1962, I think that was.
2: So I didn't, and... um,
3: yes, I, I didn't really feel it. at the time. It was lucky to be playing, <laughs> I guess, one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time being stuck between the two sports.
2: And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's, a, there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir so Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer, but um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him?
3: Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach, or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who um, was played mm-hmm. under him. and uh, I And of course, a great manager in South Randley. So, to come across people like that, of that caliber, can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case.
2: Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with
3: I think there are instances of players who you thought would would be in the team or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm-hmm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that else didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's, that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, a nasty gas to share um, on Jimmy Green's leg.
2: And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those quantities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must've been moments, Jeff, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the,
3: Which uh, was absolutely, but I can use that now because it, it is quite funny.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you'll I, I can tell you if want, you want. You've got time. I can tell I go, you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh,
3: doing it at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or 400 people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions.
2: Uh, for England who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later
3: well I think I was very fortunate and I wouldn't pick any one player out I think looking at that so many so many and that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me, the um, all hard-nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially.